Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host for this segment. We are at the sold-out Ohio State Center for Operational Excellence Leading Through Excellence Summit to learn from their expert breakout session speakers. And lucky you don't have to pay registration to glean some of the wisdom being offered. Carrie Dunstan is CEO of American Woodmark, one of the top manufacturers of modular kitchen cabinets and vanities. Listeners may have your cabinets in their kitchens. I hope more than more do than not, that's for sure. <laughs> Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Catherine. Glad to be here. We're going to be talking about emotional intelligence, becoming a leader who cares and shows it. Uh, what is your definition of, an, of emotional intelligence? Fairly standard. It's, it's ability to you know, start to understand and have a good grasp of your own personal emotions, the emotions of people around you. And once you get into that mode, then you actually have the ability to influence your own emotions and more importantly, to influence the emotions of people around you in a very, very positive way, which is ultimately what leadership is all about. And you indicate that this is critically under-exercised in the leadership ranks. Yeah, I mean, I talk about society in general and you, know, you think about what, uh, you know, how much time most spend in a classroom environment and you know, every expert will will emphasize the importance of emotional intelligence relative to IQ or intelligence uh, with regards to the this overall success of an individual, not just success at work, but holistically as your ability to go through life and be happy and and to feel, you know, you know, really the the emotional gratification and, and so forth. It, it, it's highly, highly critical. Yet it's very rare will I find people that have actually been through a course or even sometimes even have heard the term emotional intelligence. You say when you apply it to a, a company, and, and I would say in particular manufacturing, uh, that there are some specific benefits, not only for the leadership, but for the employees. Yeah, I think the, you know, as a leader myself, it's it's one where I, I emphasize, you know, to become a leader, it, it should never, hopefully not be somebody's number one priority to, to, to just have the, you know, the, the rise and feel like you want to go out and climb a corporate ladder. It's recognizing the the true level of responsibility and accountability that comes with being a leader and the fact that you can impact lives. Um, and obviously, we probably all know leaders that have impacted lives negatively. Um, and we also are very aware of leaders that not only have been successfully on the what they do, they, they can you know, uh, empower organizations and develop a, a true return for that organization from a financial perspective, yet at the same time they can do it in a way where employees are very proud of where they work, they have an emotional connection to where they work, they feel like they have an environment where fellow employees truly care about them, they don't have to walk in the door and and be somebody different, they can be themselves, they can bring their passions to work. Um, and that's, that's really what it's all about. It definitely seems to be a step beyond the employer as the internal customer. Yeah, it's it, it's it, it, what we talk about is the emotional connection, and even if you, I mean, I'll, I reference our sales team a lot. You know, it's, I spend a lot of time with analysts, and they always want to know our magic formula, why we've been successful, particularly uh, post recession coming out with our our growth and and our success. And, and it's hard because there is no magic formula. There is no, I mean, yes, we're making right strategic decisions as well, but at the end of the day, uh, the greatest input is the people. 
and the return we're getting because, once again, for example, our sales force, our sales force, I, f- I feel, is different. Um, just like employees are different, um, our employees are different. Our sales force brings a level of caring when they go out and make a sale. So they actually have personal relationships with you know, the, the designers, the owners of the businesses that they sell to, uh, big box retailers, all the designers in the stores, um, all the uh, new construction companies we deal with. There's actually a personal connection. They, they care about the people they're selling to. Um, which is a much different environment than going out and trying to make a sale, you know, with false intentions. Um, and it makes a difference. I mean, we've got sales reps that get invited to, to weddings, that get to be bridesmaids, best men. I mean, it's, it's a different environment because they truly establish that personal connection. And it's just it's one example of many where our employees truly make a difference. How are you introduced to uh, the emotional intelligence method and, and was it a, I mean I, I don't know if it's even a method but in terms of your own path towards this yeah it's really back in the, the late 90s and like I was just you know telling my story is is I thought I was really good uh, at emotions um, and what I found out is even though you I did not show signs of stress you could throw any critical scenario casually anything at me and I could very calmly address it and say okay what are we going to do but what I really realized I was doing was was holding those emotions back. And then, um, honestly, the, the deciding moment in my life is I, my family is nothing more important than, me, than my family. And uh, I just I went home one day and, and felt I was not being the husband and the father that I could be, um, that I wanted to be. And it was because I could not let myself make the, the true emotional connection I needed to because I was actually bottling up the stress from work. and. And not being willing to to talk about it, and 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 it just and I saw you know books on emotional intelligence and and jumped in headfirst and and have been going ever since and started teaching. I was actually in England at the time, started teaching at universities then, and I found the more I focused myself on teaching it, the more I had to live it too. Um, but it's a constant learning process. My whole life is you know I would never sit back and say okay I'm I'm emotionally mature because it, it's it's forever and ever is because of the way I'm wired and the way I've learned to balance my life. I mean, I balance is all relative, but as a, as a CEO and a successful executive, um, my family will tell you I've never made a sacrifice. Um, they feel like, nope, I'm an incredible father, husband, and, and the difference is when I'm home, I'm home. So I, my family is my family time. When I'm at work, yep, I, I do travel a lot. And, and yes, as a, a senior executive, it, it does take time. Um, but I realize that I have only so many buckets in my life, and I properly balance those buckets without sacrificing, saying, okay, I'm going to be successful. And when you ask that question, if you're going to dedicate more time to one bucket, then you're, you also have to say, okay, what bucket am I going to take it from? And, and only one person can balance your life, and that's yourself. And you have to be willing to, to, to put that stake in the ground and make that decision that you're going to do it. And I feel very proud of what I've done with that. And you've actually extended this to the evaluation of the company as a whole, correct? Yes, actually, it's uh, and it was before I got there. We've it's just based on our founder and the values that our company has instilled, uh, going back to our founder. And we we really emphasize not just what you do and your outputs, but also how you do it and how you treat people. We have a set of very strong core values that uh, that we truly live by. So I know there's I've been you know places where people have a vision on the wall and it tends to be more of a piece of paper because in stressful times, it's it's when you really see the heart of a company. And um, I was actually blessed, I think, when I joined American Woodmark during the recession because I got to see the heart of the company and I got to see that this company's real. Um, you know, it existed before I got there. I'm just trying to continue to evolve it and take it to the next level. But our leaders have, 
and company and employees have always just been an incredible culture and it goes back to our founder and the ability to truly have a set of core values that we live by. And you've talked about uh, that you will send uh, cards to folks who are who are having surgery or if there's a death in the family and uh, wh- how do you see the, the value of the little, what people would consider the little things? It, invaluable. It goes mm-hmm. back to even when I was, uh, nobody ever told me to do it. Uh, it started when I was young and even I was a production manager. I just took the time to take you know, employee that did something exceptional, I would just, you know, say thank you and send a card to their home. And out of employees come out and said, nobody's ever sent me a card to my house. And and I, I didn't think of it that way. It was just, I just wanted to do it because I wanted to show the employee I cared and I truly cared. Um, so that's why you have to be careful. You can't force things, right? You can't go out and tell somebody to start sending a card because it has to be something they do from their heart, whatever an individual can do to show people that I'm not here for myself. I, I'm here because I care, and I truly care about each and every employee in our company uh, in a way that I think is special. Uh, talking about uh, other leaders at other companies, and uh, you know that they have these intentions of driving high-functioning teams and and producing results. So why then do they make the the choices that limit that ability to be effective? Yeah, it, it's, it's like I tell people is we tend to remember ourselves. Um, I, I like to, to the analogy of people having blinders on. Um, most of the time we walk around with our blinders open, meaning we're very receptive and aware of, of, of others' emotional state. And we can sense when people may be struggling and uh, when they may be having a tough day, when they might need somebody to, to show them they care. During very stressful times when our triggers are hit, those blinders tend to come shut. Um, and it's, it's something that Everybody has, everybody has their own triggers, um, and we have to understand those triggers. The challenge with some leaders is if they're not really emotionally aware of what their triggers are and their response to those triggers, they can allow their blinders to become shut during that, you know, it's probably a rare occasion, but during that period of time when their blinders are shut, they can do a lot of damage. They can, you know, treat people, you know, employees without respect or dignity. Um, and we all know positional power is a heavy weight, and, you know, the words of a leader carry a lot of weight. And it doesn't take much to, uh, to instill negativity uh, within an organization if you don't have that ability to be aware of your emotions during really the toughest, uh, most stressful times. Do you put extra weight on your managers when it comes to rolling this out That's, and maintaining it? Yeah, I call it tension. Uh, yes, it's something uh, past several years. We've really put a lot of emphasis, but it's it's what I'm also telling them. It's not because it can come across initially as, okay, it's extra work. I've got to go do this in addition to you know, meeting my goals for you know, our, our financials and our, our safeties and our costs and qualities and customer service and so forth. But what we just have to continue to reemphasize is this, there is no additional work to this. It's just a time of showing the how. You know, when you go do it, do it the right way. Um, when you go, go meet your objectives, um, do it in a way that's truly caring and show employees that you care. And it's about what we call servant leadership. You walk in the door, if your employees truly feel that you're there for them, not for yourself, um, all of a sudden, you're going to have those employees that care just as much for you. And it's like I tell young people, if you want to be successful, forget about yourself. Walk into an organization and do everything you can to make everybody around you as successful as possible, and you will be successful beyond, beyond your wildest imagination. You, I just I guarantee it if you can do that. I see parallels in other organizations as well. I mean, that applies I to pretty much any organization, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. This is not manufacturing. And actually, this is holistic. This is... Yeah, that's the first reminder I have of people. This is not about your job. This is about you and your individual choices in life and 
your ability to, to be a better friend, to be a better spouse, to be a better mother, father, um, you know, just the ability to make emotional connections with people. And, um, you know, it's, it's as simple as walking down a hall and we ask somebody, good morning, how are you? Are you truly paying attention to that person's response? Do you notice a little twins that maybe say, today's different, today I'm not okay. And you can take the time to stop and pause and, and say, what's going on? You know, and are you okay? And it's hard to do that because you're so focused on everything in, that's around you and your environment that is pretty stressful for most people. But if you can take the time to do that and have your blinders open, even during the toughest of times, you will change a life. You'll change a life forever because that person will spread. It's like a virus, but it's a good one. It will spread. And if you care for somebody, they're going to care for others. If a company is considering this, what would you tell them would be a few of the first steps that uh, they should take? The first steps are for the, the leaders because it's, you know, I say leaders can't make a culture, um, but they have to live it. Um, leaders cannot go out and talk about emotional intelligence uh, unless they themselves are truly, you know, experts in, in, in living it uh, themselves. You know, if they make it a priority in their lives, they've shown people that they've put that stake in the ground and made a personal commitment that they're going to be emotionally mature. Because um, the good thing about emotional intelligence is a learned behavior. You know, it doesn't matter what your age is. It's not hardwired. You can you can take a put a stake in the ground at any point in your life and say I'm going to change. So leadership has to make that decision. They have to become educated on it. They have to be willing to work together uh, and ensure that they're instilling that culture in their company that they're willing to live themselves. And if you do that, then accept that it's going to be a journey. It's a lifelong journey, um, but you have to live it and have to lead it by example. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on the Thank show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We have Derek Browning here. He's VP of Sales and Marketing with Lean Core Supply Chain Group. Uh, his session uh, is on advanced supply chain development, seeing the forest and the trees. Derek, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Tell us a little bit more about your, your company, uh, Lean Core. Uh, it's focused on uh, lean training, supply chain consulting, and transportation management. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You summed it up well. So Lean Core exists to advance the world's supply chains, and, and that means that we partner with organizations that that are on you know varying levels of, of supply chain maturity. So the, the organizations that are very new and immature in their supply chain, we'll work to get them up to par with their competitors, with others in the industries, uh, and then push them beyond that. And then those organizations that would have what uh, many would call world-class supply chains. We will work with them to, to get better connected supply chains and to connect their supply chain with the rest of the organization. And the way that we do that is through training and education. Uh, so we, we recognize that many of the organizations that, that we work with, they they understand supply chain principles at a functional level, um, and the functions understand their function very well, but many do not understand it at a system level. So we will train them to think systematically and, and, and think about how the other functions work, and, and, um, and many organizations embrace lean thinking so that they, they understand the concept of value stream. So what we want to do is, is teach the various folks in the supply chain how one decision may impact areas upstream and downstream from where that decision is being made. And then 
the consulting side of the business is to then go in and work alongside of the organizations that that are embracing those principles that we've taught so that we can take their their warehouses and transform their warehouses we can build networks to deliver the the, the ultimate customer value proposition uh, and then our logistics dis, uh, division would engineer and operate transportation networks that are embracing lean principles so you're integrated in all aspects yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. And and uh, Dr. Tom Goldsby from from uh, here at the Ohio State University, he, he once called us the intellectual practitioners. And so we're coming in with, with training education and trying to think clearly about what the future may hold, but also operating it and making sure that those recommendations and, and the training that we provide are practical and implementable. Oh, that's an interesting approach. You focus on company leaders and managers Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about the business from a systems point of view, Mm -hmm. working through cross-functional areas. Mm -hmm. What does that entail? Yeah, so maybe a good example, the the common problem that we see in organizations um, would be a a purchasing agent that is trying to make a low-cost sourcing decision. And so the the model that they put together, um, in large part, has a heavy emphasis on piece price. And so they're looking at that piece price and they're saying, we're able to take 20% out of of our cost of goods by reducing this piece price. What they're not thinking about is the supplier quality, is how well the supplier would integrate with their supply chain, of what additional complexity that supplier may add. So so if, if, if I outsource that one SKU, that one component, that has ramifications across my supply chain. I now have to have additional stocking locations and, and it increases the complexity for material planners. It has implications to my logistics system. And so what we try to do within the supply chain is we work with that purchasing agent and the rest of the supply chain so that they can align and better understand the implications, the, the intended and unintended consequences of those decisions. Then they can update their models, they can put in place the right guiding principles to to operate that supply chain dynamic. And then outside of supply chain, we work with those folks that are making decisions for the supply chain. So if, if we're going to do a new product launch, it's very common in organizations where a new product launch is executed and engineers have made the sourcing decisions without understanding how suppliers are being managed or or how the the tactical purchasing of that material is going to take place they just make the decision and so we're now working outside of the supply chain to say how do we make better decisions without blowing up our lead time because that's the other problem an organization wants to be able to respond to market dynamics quickly and if we inject too much supply chain analysis into product development lifecycle now their product development life cycle is going to lag. So how do we equip them with the right thinking, the right knowledge, so that they can operate quickly within that product development life cycle, and then it can be handed off to supply chain effortlessly and be able to ramp up quickly? Is that what you refer to as systems thinkers, those who see the forest and the trees? Right, right. It's The systems thinker would be someone that can perform a function well, They've got the right guiding principles and operating principles to perform that function well, the right standard work. But they also understand what intended and unintended consequences of their decisions are to the other aspects of the supply chain. So that way they're they're making decisions that doesn't just optimize their one part of the process, but helps the whole process get better or advance. 
And in that process, are they also thinking about what the total cost is going to be, what the ramifications of that process is going to be? Yeah, yeah. When, when we think about results, um, so, so we've got kind of leading metrics and input metrics, uh, uh, measurements of, of lead time and, and cycle time and quality. And then we have the output metrics, and, and they usually fall into two categories. One would be performance, and then the other would be cost. And so what we're wanting to help folks understand is how the decisions they're making today are going to drive improved performance or impact cost. And, and ultimately, we want to balance those and, and achieve the best of both of them. And so we think about, uh, especially lean in manufacturing, it's, it's a, a, a principle to reduce inventory. We want to reduce inventory. We want less inventory. And yet at the same time, we're trying to drive costs by implementing global supply chains. And so it ends up creating this, this kind of schizophrenic situation for these organizations. Well, what do I do? And this is where thinking systematically can really help us. In order to get our total price down so that we're meeting customer demands and we let the market set that price, we need to think about the supply chain from the end to end. And, and this is really the, the book, Discovering Hidden Profit, what, what our CEO, Robert Martichenko, was was advocating is the more that we can educate those within the supply chain and outside of the supply chain, how they can drive improved performance for the organization and reduce costs for the organization, then we can work together as one team to make supply chain-centric decisions. What I found interesting about the approach is uh, uh, you suggest that leaders should use their supply chain as a feedback mechanism for mm -hmm. the system. And so what types of critical information can be gleaned from that approach? Yeah, so I, I, I know one of, one of the, the most interesting metrics that, that I look at is, is this idea of supply chain complexity. And so if we were to map out a supply chain over a course of five years, what in terms of revenue performance have they achieved? What in terms of profit have they achieved? And then how has the supply chain gotten more or less complex over that time? Meaning it's, it's common for an organization over, over a course of five to 10 years to, to double and triple in terms of, of um, uh, total SKUs and, and total amount of products or services they offer. But yet, when you look at the revenue and the profit, there's usually not that same proportional doubling and tripling effect. It's a 10% growth in revenue and profit while the complexity has just ballooned out of proportion. Uh, we, we did one project uh, not too long ago with the company and found that, that they could impact their bottom line profit positively by reducing their revenue by 5%. And, and it was by taking a look at some of these SKUs and some of these supply chain decisions they had made and just saying they're not adding value. Let's call them off and, and focus our efforts on those areas that are adding the most value and work together as a team to put in place the right decision-making criteria so that we don't end up back in that position. Since the... Center for Operational Excellence, their summit theme is leading through excellence. Um, I'm asking everyone this question. How do you uh, begin or continue to infuse uh, the innovative practice that uh, you have outlined with the, the uh, system's point of view uh, into a company's culture? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And, and we, we've thought a lot about you know, the, the whole, where do we start? And, uh, and, and with, any, with, with any kind of improvement, we've got to first recognize that there's a need for it. 
and and this is where uh, many organizations really really fumble is is they they've got in their mind that that they're either okay um, or they misdiagnose what their problem is, and and so as a result, the solutions that they bring into the table only uh, only adds inventory, only adds cost. It, it may it may stop some of the phone calls from occurring, but it doesn't really solve the problem. So that there's usually a cycle of awareness that, that we have to take people through. And, and so this is a mixture of education, this is a mixture of analysis, um, and, and it's really pulling the team together so that we understand where we're at, where we need to be, what the gap is, um, and, and, and the, that we actually need to do something different. Fantastic, thank you for your time, Derek. I appreciate it. Anytime.